To this day, I can still remember exactly how the games began. Alistair was my first. When the door opened, he couldn't hide the surprise on his face. But it was the quickness with which he masked the slip, morphing back into a nonchalant, give-no-fucks kind of face that showed more about his true self than any of his conscious words or actions ever could. Alistair was a man of action, a man who enjoyed power and control and who commanded respect and obedience through his very presence. His place as I first caught a glimpse of it behind the silhouette of his frame, was sterile. Not sterile like a hospital, all white-walled and barren, but sterile like a hotel room. Decorations crisp and well-matched, but no spark of personality allowed to shine through. No photographs, no matchbooks, or collectible shot glasses displayed on shelves dripping with nostalgia. You know things that make a house a home. Even the air conveyed a fresh, untainted environment, crisp and sharp like when you open a bag from the dry cleaners. It was also carefully controlled. You could tell he never really let go and relaxed into authenticity, even in solitude. His phone was in his hand. As I eventually learned, it rarely leaves his person and is never silenced completely. When its chirping is quieted, I know a piece of him stays connected to it. Part of his mind stays vigilant, afraid to release itself from service and allow Alistair to miss some cue or communicate from the outside world. Observing all of this in the flash of the present moment, it was easy to tell this was a man incapable of stepping outside of the bars that caged him. He didn't know his own obsession with control was exactly what kept him alienated. Alienated from himself, alienated from the deepest parts of others, and most importantly, alienated to a world full of forces beyond him. Forces that stand ready, willing, and able to assist anyone who asks in building their secret dreams. Alistair couldn't understand yet that building his life brick by brick with his own two hands is neither efficient nor effective. He would learn and I was here to help teach him. The sparking of surprise gave him away. It let me know that this was a man who had noticed me, but was hell-bent on pretending he hadn't. And then was hell-bent on denying that he couldn't stop thinking about me after our first completely ordinary and wildly shallow exchange. He began ordering his pristine pizza, gluten-free vegetarian, because we all know his waistline is one of his greatest assets. Week after week, the order came in like clockwork, but it took almost two months for him to risk opening his mouth to me in a consequential manner, finally acknowledging me as a person, a woman. I know in his mind's eye he saw me as a victim of circumstance, a woman who needs saving, and himself as the knight who could swoop in, much as he did with his clients. Steering and delivering my fragile, broken, helpless self to a bright land of abundance, wealth, and good fortune. Little did he know. I was already steeped with more abundance than my arms could possibly carry and used the wings of angels and demons to carry my excess bounty. I needed nothing beyond the things I already had. The real irony was that I was the one who would save him 
in the end. I saved them all through the game. And more accurately, I helped them remember how to save themselves. So let's go back to that day, two months out from his slip of surprise, the flash that told me that this man was put in my path through serendipity. It was written in the stars that we would meet. We would fuck. We would interweave our bodies and our souls, and through our entanglements, he would eventually come face to face with the ecstasy of surrender. There's a funny thing that happens once these men surrender to the things they've devoted so much time and energy to hiding within themselves. Elevated into a new land through their yielding, they're filled with the strength of a person more whole than anything they've ever dreamed of. And this land, this mental space, starts shifting and spreading through their physical lives. It moves through their days and their nights, changing the way they wield their powers in this world and altering everything around them. Alistair began walking down the path this day. I would begin to infect his days, his nights, and his dreams. But the thing infecting him will have nothing to do with me. I keep my ego far from the effects of my actions. The thing infecting Alistair will be the safe place I offer. It just happens to be built into my existence. It's a place where he can embrace the powerlessness that will set him free. That's what he needs from me. They all need something. The past two months have only consisted of casual money exchange, hands sometimes lightly touching as I pass the pizza boxes to him. I notice him silently taking note of certain things each visit. Once it was the pale indentation on my finger, where my wedding ring used to be. I'm not sure how many summers of sunshine will erase the visible mark of the decade I spent tethered to Richard, but I do know that the invisible marks will never fade. I don't mind. Those scars bring me peace, highlighting my own strength and fortitude. I've learned a secret power they hold with others as well. Wounds like mine attract the wounded like catnip, drawing them into my orbit like a moth to flame. A few times during those two months, I sensed he was on the verge of breaking our silent pact to keep this relationship of ours as sterile as his apartment. But he never risked a word until that fateful day too afraid to begin the game. Alistair's scared more often than he'd admit. And when I say admit he's afraid, I don't mean admit it to others. He can't even admit his fears to himself. They're buried so deeply they only begin emerging around a light as intense as the one I bring. Shining into the corners and crevices of his inner world, exposing the things he wants to hide from himself. I can see them black holes that absorb my sparkling and glinting essence. The old me, the one who craved her own kind of power beyond the healing, sees these black holes and smells them like blood in the water, salivating at the weakness and wanting to create chaos on her own terms and for her own purposes. But as a whole woman now, I know how to wait. I do the things that need to be done exactly when they need to be done, and not a moment before. This is the only path to success, after all. I can be a patient woman. 
All it takes is tuning into the collective feminine consciousness, based on the rhythms of nature and biding time. Women have waited for centuries, for millennia even. Waited for babies, waited for dying, waited for husbands to come home, waited for our children to call out for us, waited for crops, for bread to finish baking, for the barrage of need to begin again. I can sit now, resisting my own impulses to heal his wounds in my way, on my terms. And instead, simply wait until he's ready. And at long last, here he is. When he opens the door, I sense something different. There's music on this time. A jazz record is spinning on the turntable. Another one of those predictably predictable moments. His tie is loosened and his sleeves are rolled up, giving him an immediate impression of being off-duty. But the fresh cloud of aftershave surrounding him lets me know he's anything but lackadaisical about his current appearance. Everything is still controlled. Still a carefully crafted illusion. This fact makes me smile. And in that hint of a smile, the moment of eye contact as my face drops to hide the break in my own countenance. We connect. In that timeless space outside the world, Alistair sees me and I see him. Our souls know that this is one of the moments of our lives that matter more than we think. I feel the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. It's electric when the thing you've been waiting for has finally arrived. Hello again. Here's your pizza, sir. Thanks. How are you today? This question stops me. He's never asked how I am before. Never given any indication to an outside observer that I'm anything but a delivery robot, serving him in that faceless, nameless way. This is different. I'm magnificent, as always. The answer stops him. How could a woman like me, who's been delivering pizza for at least two months, call herself magnificent? I see the confusion. I've just surprised him again by being me. We'll develop a regular habit of him being startled by my truths, but this is just the beginning, so his chuckle is new to me. I enjoy the sound. Amusing him will become one of my tricks, much like a fox who charms her prey. I draw him in with my antics, luring my quarry to settle himself nearby like a delighted theater guest, forgetting everything but the show until the moment I pounce. Magnificent. I don't hear that often. It's a shame. We're all magnificent. Everyone could feel that every moment of every day. It's the truth, after all. Well then, Miss Magnificent, wouldn't you care to join me for a drink? You can tell from the way he stands back from the door, opening his arm to gesture at his perfectly appointed couch, cushions fluffed and shaggy throw artfully tossed across the arm. But my declination is the last thing on his mind. When Alistair says jump, people say, how high? Never why? So for the sake of a little more reconnaissance on the man behind the mask, I say the thing he doesn't expect. 
Why? I watch his face turn dark for a moment. This man holds more rage than I first intuited. I imagine his repressed fears run deeper than most. I take note, warning myself to tread cautiously for a moment. This man is clearly used to getting his own way. Never mind then. And that's that. He withdraws the gesture, withdraws the option for future connection, and retreats. He won't call for pizza again. The shame's too thick. It's amazing that a simple question of why could shut him down so completely. I know he's not going to be able to stop thinking about me, though. So I simply smile at him, as you wish, and I walk away. I feel my intuition tingling from my head to my toes as I walk. Come back later, Alice. Your story with this man isn't done, but you're going to have to leave for now. Give and take. Push and pull. Lure him back out to play once his fear has wandered off. Let the threat of your implied insolence fade from his mind. So I come back later that evening, after finishing my rounds and clocking out. I even go home and change out of my delivery clothes, washing my hair and scrubbing the smell of grease and pepperoni off my skin. I put on one of my old dresses, one from the before days, when I had Richard spoiling me with clothes that could feed a household for a month. I knew Alistair would appreciate the dress. It was one of the few things I managed to save from Richard's great ball of destruction. Literally, a ball of destruction. He took every item from my closet he thought I might be able to sell and ripped, cut, and slashed them to shreds. No burning, because a pile of ash isn't nearly as offensive to a woman's sensibilities as a pile of lace and silk tatters. Then you can remember everything you've lost. This dress was at the dry cleaners that day, along with four others. The rest were gone. Much as I rebuilt my life from the rubble Richard left in his wake, I rebuilt the destroyed bits and pieces of my former wardrobe into something new. Every scrap of fabric reminded me of a horrific experience I had survived. Here's the dress I wore to his company party, where he called me a whore and made me fuck him in the elevator to prove I wasn't interested in his assistant. Here, just the shirt I wore to my mother's birthday party when he choked me in the car before we got out and told me I had to stop making everything all about me. Here's the skirt I wore to the farmer's market the day I found out he had bought a new house without telling me and had already sold the one we were in. The one I had chosen when we first got married. These pieces helped me remember the real story, and I wasn't willing to let them go. So I spent three days cutting, pinning, and stitching until all these bits were reborn into one large quilt, a king-sized patchwork of pain that felt like a million dollars to wrap yourself in, or at least a few hundred thousand. Now it's what I sleep and dream under every night, what I touch myself on top of. My reclaiming of my life and my power began with that quilt, and now the game I play begins with one of the few pieces not in that quilt. As women, our clothing carries memories. Carrying a memory of what came before Alistair infuses me with a layer of strength, allowing my weakness to curl up safe and warm inside me while I get to work. Just a hint of makeup, a spritz of perfume, sandals and some bracelets that clatter together like monastery bells. Here I come, Alistair. 
During my walk to his place, I breathed deeply, feeling the earth beneath my feet and letting my senses collect the late night smells and sounds. Everything from the vomit and piss in less than savory alleyways to the powdered sugar of the donut shop and the laundromat that never stops churning. I watched the lights dance and flash, catching the birds and bats flying against the dark sky, and I never start thinking. Thinking is where you get yourself in trouble when you're a girl like me. I'm built to work off of intuition. My brain is a tool, but a heavy, awkward one that gets in my way when it's not needed. For Alistair, my brain would be far too threatening. It contains too much ego to withstand the control games he plays without succumbing to frustration. So I quietly shut my brain down, placing the tool at my feet, and then move into my heart, follow its beating down to my cunt, to the woman deep inside of me that's connected to every woman who has been healing man since time began. Before I know it, I'm at his door. It's a weekday, so I'm sure he's working tomorrow. He should be sound asleep right now, but I know that he's not. I've learned over my lifetime what effect I have on men, and women for that matter. Alistair will be wound up, unable to sleep, but he may not know why. It's because he's waiting for me. I knock, quietly, carefully with a playful lilt in the knock that belies how serious of a moment this is. Will he open the door, or will he leave it closed to punish me? Like attracts like, so I know his curiosity will get the better of him. Whether it does while I'm still at the door is the real question. And there it is. He opens the door a crack. His lights are still blazing. He's holding a drink, and his carefully crafted casual look has actually retreated into itself. His bloodshot eyes and shaking hand have stolen the show. Surprise, then anger, then pleasure, all cascade across his face within the first second. Hello, sir. I was hoping to have that drink. He opens the door wider and lets me inside in more ways than one. I enter and he takes my jacket and hangs it next to the door. Then I feel his hand graze the small of my back in that quiet way some men do to reinforce their role as protector and savior. As a pizza delivery girl of far too much beauty to deserve such a job, I'm well versed in the art of reading the savior messages men and women send me every day. They don't know that I've chosen this life purposefully and consciously, and that I don't want for anything. My divorce settlement was large enough to provide me with a simple sort of security. My apartment is paid for. My car is paid for. My savings create enough interest to cover my necessities and then some. I work, not for the reasons most do, but instead to learn. I chose this job intentionally because my life became so closed in my marriage. It was limited to the same people who walked the same paths day after day. I wasn't allowed deep friendships, as they threatened Richard. And I wasn't allowed my own hobbies, passions, or goals in which to meet like-minded people. I was no more than Richard's handbag, the most prized of his accessories, which he used to shore up his own personal value, calculated within the confines of his own head. 
and never stopped craving a million lives other than my own. I read voraciously during all the moments I could find to sit and escape from this world. And while folding his laundry and prepping his meals, I would watch shows featuring love, diversity, other lands, and other lives. Fantasy became reality as my evening dreams became daytime ones. I craved breaks from the monotonous drone of servitude to Richard's endless needs. I dreamed of a world larger than myself, of people who I'd never spoken to before, cultures I had never experienced. And one day while walking down the street, I realized that I didn't have to look very far. Block by block, the people on the streets changed. The sounds and smells and sights altered. Entire universes ensconced within a half-mile radius. Everyone seemed so comfortable in their own places, their homes. I spent my adult life creating a home full of comfort and warmth, but I never got to feel at home there. Richard owned my breath, my blood, and my life. I wondered how I could get a glimpse of these other lives. Initially, I considered driving for a rideshare service. But despite the fact I'm a horrible driver, with a sense of direction that equates to a goldfish continually surprised by the same castle, the reason I tossed rideshare to the side was that you don't get these people in their homes. You get them as they're leaving their homes, complete with the armor of their makeup and suits and sunglasses. They climb in your car engaging externally. I wanted a glimpse inside when they're at home with themselves. Pizza is the great equalizer, isn't it? Everyone in this country comes together over a delivery pizza. No matter what toppings, no matter what crust, ordering pizza is part of our modern vernacular. And you open your door so easily to exchange the money for the pizza. You don't know who I'm going to be when you open your door. You aren't prepared for me with a profile picture in my name. I am anonymous, and you are left open to the surprise. There's a certain amount of judgment within a person when they see a profile picture and a name. There's a mindset, unspoken but still solid, that begins to propagate as soon as the information hits your brain. Pizza delivery from a specific place is nameless, faceless, and I'm so tired of people judging me for my face for so many expectations and preparations to be put into our meeting because of my face, what I look like, how I look at you. In this role, I enjoy a freedom I've never known before, and I get to see all the lives I missed along the way. When I was younger, I enjoyed Sylvia Plath. The darkness that tempered her hopes and dreams resonated in my soul's deepest core. I understood all too well the constant clashes between the living and dying we experience throughout the course of our existence. Entire universes are being born and vanishing, even within our own minds, over and over again in an endless string of moments. Plath said contemplating your future was like sitting in the crook of a fruit tree, admiring all of the different fruits you could choose from, branch after branch, heavy with options. So many lives, so many potentials. The tricky part is the choosing. Taking a hold of one means rejecting all of the others, and making that decision can be paralyzing. So there I sat, frozen on the crook, drunk on choice like a hot girl on Tinder. 
until the next part happened. Fruit started dropping off the branches, as they naturally do when they're ripe and ready to fall. They simply lay there, out of my reach, withering and rotting on the ground. As the passage of time limited my options, I felt a new fear set in. The fear of never moving from the crook. Instead, I would sit there for a lifetime hungry, knowing that it's only because I waited too long to grab a piece of that fucking fruit. Choking on that fear, I looked to my nearest branch, and there was Richard. That life sounded good enough. Fear told me it was time for me, so I threw myself into it, without looking back not mourning any of the other Alice's I could have been. We know how that worked out for me in the end. So this healing journey is all about recapturing the fruits, seeing what else could have been and honoring the lives I missed by bearing witness. Perhaps along the way, I'll find one that's more suited for me than the one I had, but I doubt it. The seeking and healing of the ones who find their way to me through the agent of synchronicity through the agency of my pizza delivery, as funny as that sounds, is exactly what I'm suited for, through and through. Alistair doesn't know this, of course. He's busy guiding me to his couch, enjoying the feel of silk under his recently manicured hands. Silk always shows who the real men are, the ones that retain the ways of old, where men fixed things, labored for their homes and their families and use the raw strength they were gifted by virtue of their sex to move mountains, quite literally at times. A hand that's worked on the way men can work never glides over silk. It'll actually leave runs in your stockings if you're not careful. I can appreciate both kinds of hands, but the silk is a technique I use to see what kind of man you are. Because if you were brought to me, you have a wound that needs to be healed. And to find the wound, I need to understand every part of who you are. This is but one of my ways to observe, to understand. Alistair doesn't use his hands for much beyond the computer and the phone. Clearly a high finance man through and through. There are some perks to this, of course. Soft hands can slip in all kinds of places without too much friction. Soft hands show a man can take care of his physical being, something many of the rough-hand men lack. Often drinking, smoking, and eating their way to excesses, their body is used as a tool, but never treated as a temple. As long as the tool still performs its job, why worry about the physical appearance? Anything done to improve that is considered beneath them, shallow and feminine. Those men are another kind of quandary to balance. Sit down. Let me get you a drink. He doesn't ask me what kind of drink I want. Another clue to his inner essence. Take charge, no nonsense. But an assumption of other people's desired experiences will do him little good when it comes to seeking out lasting meaning and authentic connections within himself and in his larger sphere of influence. That will change as we move through the game, too. Assumptions he makes will be dropped, one by one, paving the way for a deeper understanding of what others want, need, and expect. This knowing will pour directly from his understanding of his own wants, needs, and expectations. 
especially the ones he would prefer to deny or hide from himself. I arranged myself on his couch, slipping off my sandals and pulling my legs up underneath me. I'm sure shoes aren't allowed, so I've already pushed the boundaries a bit by dropping them in the living room instead of by the door. I turn my eyes to the door and notice pairs of shoes neatly lined up nearby, confirming my assumption. Funnily enough, I see a woman's pair of flip-flops and a pair of Ferragamo heels. There's no sign of a woman anywhere in this house, nor have I ever seen one. I wonder whose shoes they are for a moment, but then I simply let it go. It's time to focus on my charge. I begin by watching my breath, centering my being and letting all of my thoughts and concerns about my day and my life float away like clouds in the sky. Once they're free, I simply reduce my world down to Alistair. Nothing more, nothing less. This is the way they like it, and this is how I will be able to see what I can see in him. I have no resistance, no fear of where this may lead. I somehow know that the feeling of unfinished business will follow me until I've found my purpose here and I complete the transaction. By the time Alistair returns with the glass, something clear on the rocks, which I suppose is a nod to my femininity, my gaze is reduced down to pinpoints. He can feel it before I've even turned toward him. Perhaps his cock even twitches for a moment when he enters the radius of the bubble I've built for him. A place where only we exist. I just realized I never got your name. I'm Alistair. I know that. I pay with a credit card every time. And your name? Alice. My brevity unnerves him. He expected me to be tripping over myself, fawning and preening and trying to impress him. A flibberty gibbet beating her wings around like one of those birds of paradise. But here I sit, completely cool and calm, solid, stable, and still, answering his questions, but nothing more. And why do I sit here? That's the real question racing around and around in his mind, dipping in and out of his thought train. His dick twitches again. I saw it, out of the corner of my eye. It's amazing what your senses can pick up when you've quieted the chatter in your mind. Drop the monkey and keep the magic. That's my motto these days. So my monkey mind stays back while I take a sip and gaze at him over the rim of my glass. Looking at him like this laces the bubble I've created with an intoxicating atmosphere. I know this from experience. It was one of my favorite ways to get Richard to agree to something, as it was the one thing he could never resist in the moment. The problem was, he never followed through on any of our deals. I know now that it's because I stayed far too long. I never challenged him enough to help himself. As penance for my inaction, I now walk the lands as a seeker, taking the wounded under my wing one by one. By leading them to healing, I rewrite the tracks of my own history and work my way towards redemption. It's a given that we will both learn something here about ourselves and about each other. 
It's with this wisdom that the wounded can help themselves, but the choice to do so is up to them. The contract that governs our unfinished business will inevitably come to a natural conclusion. There are no specific expectations of outcomes. I do and say the things I'm compelled to do and say, and I remain open and connected to them. The real healing is controlled by the wounded themselves. They will allow it, or they will not. In the end, no matter what choices are made, I will walk away with clean hands and a satisfied mind. I am a teacher of the arts of surrender. Surrendering expectations, judgments, the incessant need to control the world around us. For some of the men and women I meet, our interactions are the first time they've ever faced a blank wall when it comes to their game-playing manipulations. The first time they've had to confront the startling reality that their control of the world and people around them is nothing but smoke and mirrors. An illusion. This lovely little control freak in front of me now, Alistair, is baffled by the blank wall I'm presenting. His life has been all about reading people, reading situations, and manipulating them for his own benefit. But with me, he finds nothing he expects, and his playbook is useless. His mental Rolodex of flowcharts, created to construct and generate positive responses from an audience, begins to run off the rails and self-destruct in my presence, leaving him alone and naked, sitting there in authenticity while I sit here with him, bearing silent witness to the dissembling. I can tell he's wildly uncomfortable, but he can't bring himself to resist the ever-expanding intrigue surrounding me. The Alice that has appeared on his doorstep is unnerving and dangerous in all the best kind of ways. So what brings you to my door, Alice? You asked me if I wanted a drink. You didn't like me asking why, so I knew I wasn't going to see you again if you could help it. You were going to pretend I didn't exist, at least until your pride recovered. Easy enough to do in a city like this, full of so many places to hide yourself and things that scare you. I didn't question if I was right or not. I never do, because I already know the truth. If I let even a flicker of doubt show behind my eyes, it can be enough for those full of fear to close their ears. Alistair doesn't close his ears at all. In fact, he opens them wider still. I'm becoming as intrigued by this man as he is by me. I like you, Alice. Most people do. He smirks. And in that moment, our eyes lock and I feel him accept what is coming. What an obedient man in his heart of hearts. I like that. I think he does too. This is the moment we began moving across the game board as a pair, now hopelessly tangled up in each other for as long as the universe sees fit. Our night progresses in exactly the way I anticipated, with Alistair providing commentary and witticisms. Anecdotes that I could tell should impress me. I could feel the well-worn grooves of the conversation he makes in the presence of a lady of interest littered throughout the speech. The jokes, the measured eye contact, the calculated aura of authenticity. This man was clearly a master of disguise, 
so I moved with cautious tread, much as you would with the dark magician in your presence, paying homage to the party tricks through equally calculated responses of delight and awe, creating my own illusion through the process. No need to fear me, Alistair. I've already fallen under your spell. I'm a new creature, one of comfort. All friction my confusing presence has caused, all hackles which had risen, fell silent under my own shape-shifting as I removed anything threatening from his perception of my essence. The only way you learn a magician's tricks and touch the soul of the one behind the curtain is to wait, patiently, and give the appearance of foolishness and predictability. Lure them into a false sense of security as you yourself watch alert and quiet behind your own eyes, for the moments the mask slips and the chinks in the armor show themselves. This is a dance I'm far too familiar with after all my years with Richard, a dark magician in his own right. My husband was a man of many faces and one whose expectations were as shifting as his countenances. As the woman by his side, I myself had to learn to read the emotional temperature of the room. I could take stock and status of the lay of the battle lands, the true nature of the opponent, and the stakes of the game, all the while seamlessly performing in whatever role best matched the one he was choosing to play in that moment. Sometimes I was mother, sometimes wife, sometimes therapist, sometimes whore, sometimes victim, and sometimes villain. Year after year of switching myself on and off, sending the seekers in my brain to pull from a massive catalog of archetypal roles and energies and then return to play the part while I sat and performed reconnaissance from the tower in which I had locked myself, the tower inside my own head. That is to say, this dance Alistair required of me was as comfortable as an easy waltz. His ego shone a light on the way, leading every move, every turn, and every dramatic dip for the invisible onlookers who cheered along. I know these moves like the back of my hand, and as I twirl, I watch. Finally, he begins to slow, the panic and agitation that glowered on his face at my abrupt arrival, mellowing into a comfortable, easy glow. He's found his footing and no longer finds me a burr in his side. It's time for his next move. The usual one, I'm sure. Imagine you need to head home soon, Alice. I'd be happy to call you a cab. Though you're more than welcome to stay at my place if you're feeling unsteady or don't feel comfortable traveling the city at this time of night. I dare say there's nothing to fear here. I'm a gentleman who respects you enough to sleep on the couch. Ah, a choice appears, and three different paths spiral out in front of me. I could head home, leaving him basking in the comfort of having figured me out and then disappear from his world completely, haunting him like a ghost as the wheels of time rebuild his agitation. I could stay here and play along with his gentleman game for as long as he can keep up the act. I imagine he wouldn't last the night through, and it would be interesting to learn the rest of the moves he has in his arsenal. Or I could rest the leading role away from him right fucking now, throwing a Molotov cocktail on the whole production. 
I wonder what he'd do when he learns I'm less of a known quantity than he's been led to believe.